A More Beautiful Life podcast, recognizing, appreciating, and integrating earliest life experiences. There are times in our lives when we all yearn for something. More contact with others. A special relationship. A better job. More time to oneself. More respect. More love. More support or, well, anything. It can all be summed up in wanting a more beautiful life. You just fill in the blank for what equals beauty for you. My specialty is healing our earliest traumas to discover our truest nature. I've been working at understanding this paradigm for a long time, since 1999, when a client remembered her birth during a craniosacral session. She explained to me that she felt healing her birth experience would relieve her lifelong depression. That experience took hold of me with such passion so that years later I'm filling in the gap between our ancestral past and our present lives with recognition of our earliest life experiences starting preconception. It involves appreciating how we adapted to our difficulties and then integrating any overwhelming experiences into our current lives. Welcome to A More Beautiful Life. This podcast includes luminaries from the fields of infant mental health, prenatal and perinatal psychology, colleagues and experts in trauma resolution, advanced body workers, clients who want to share their stories, authors of pivotal books and articles, and people who, in my opinion, have sought out a more beautiful life. Join me, Kate White, and our honored guest as we explore a more beautiful life. Enjoy. Today on the show, I have Dr. Abby Blakesley. Dr. Abby Blakesley integrates somatic experiencing with clinical research, the psychobiological principles of attachment, psychodynamic therapy, and somatic bodywork in her practice and teaching. She has conducted original research on the role of implicit memory in somatic experiencing with a committee that included Dr. Dan Siegel. Dr. Blakesley holds a Master's of Arts in Counseling and Depth Psychology and a Ph.D. in Clinical and Somatic Psychology. She is interested in the intersection between neuroscience, current trauma research, and the psychological principles of somatic experiencing. She works with individuals, couples, children, and families, and treats a broad base of issues. Dr. Blakesley currently resides in Bozeman, Montana, with her husband, two young boys, and a young daughter. She focuses on providing faculty-level individual and group consultations to all levels of somatic experiencing students, teaching SE trainings, and somatic workshops and presenting at professional conferences. And today on the show, I have Abby Blakesley, who is on faculty at Somatic Experiencing International. (laughs) And she's also a practitioner and has done a wide variety of things and has some great specialties. So it's really exciting to have you on the show today. Thank you, Kate. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting me. 
Yeah, well, I would like to just start by naming like how I, I met you. And um, I met you through my training in somatic experiencing. I don't think I took any courses from you until I got to meet you at the Eye of the Needle. Uh, but I but I did reach out to you. I think I wanted to read your, your PhD and I wanted to read all the things that you wrote. And so I'm wondering if you could just take a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Well, you know, the, the, the long history, which sometimes I share and I'm feeling thus inspired, um, goes back to my love of ice cream when I was a child. So at Baskin Robbins, they used to have something called the Matterhorn, which was, you know, seven different flavors of ice cream with, with chocolate sauce and, and also whipped cream. And so I learned that if I massaged my parents, they would sometimes get me a Matterhorn. So I honed my massage therapy skills at an early age, you know, and then, you know, just finding the right knot. I'd sometimes put a dime in a phone book and so that I could see if I could find it. I learned how to uh, walk on my parents' backs too with my heels. I was quite small at the time. Um, but I, I gained an appreciation of the body and also the ways that the, the body could both bind and hold, but also open and soften and sort of that, that fluidity of being and kind of that, that maybe the healer archetype or the feeling of being a healer kind of early and mm -hmm. being rewarded for offering that kind of um, support and care. And so <clears throat> later in my life, as I was sort of exploring what I wanted to do, I took a massage therapy training um, and I was a massage therapist for many years after that, a body worker. And I had this experience where people would have memories that would come up, sometimes a traumatic memory or maybe an emotional release, something that they hadn't felt or experienced in 20 years. You know, you're working on a frozen shoulder and something opens and there's, there's a large experience, something gets put back together again. And I asked my mentor, Jill Gerber, who I just saw recently, and I just thanked her for putting me on my life's path. Um, I asked her, what book should I read about the mind-body connection? And she said, I think you should read Ram Dass, How Can I Help? And Peter Levine's Waking the Tiger. So I read Peter Levine's Waking the Tiger, and it was like these kind of crossroads or light bulbs started to come into my awareness, how we all shared similar kind of evolution with animals, that we also had fight, flight, and freeze responses in our bodies, and that that led to both tension patterns, but psychological kinds of patterns, developmental patterns, it all kind of started to come together. And that put me on my path to a master's in counseling and depth psychology, and then a PhD in clinical and somatic psychology. Mm -hmm. All the while just assisting SE with many of the different trainers, learning as much as I could, really suffusing myself into that particular study. Although I really have a broad somatic training um, with movement and, and developmental patterns and things like that as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that led me to become a trainer just because I loved it so much. I kept showing up, mm -hmm. let's say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, being connected to Dr. Peter Levine and, and learning really directly from him has been such a great inspiration. 
Yes. And you're quite good at what you do. I mean, I've, I've been the beneficiary of that and help, I love being in your classes. And you are very cherished by the people that come and study with you. Um, so it's very fortunate yeah, that we can spend some time together. But I, I also know that you teach um, your own courses besides those with Somatic uh, Experiencing International. And uh, you're now develop, doing developmental trauma as well as attachment, rupture, and repair. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because I, I've so enjoyed listening to your lectures. And I think our listeners would like to hear it as well. Yeah. Thank you. You know, when when we look at developmental trauma, and I'll have to admit, I was one of those very kind of difficult, somatic, um, I'd say, you know, scientifically staunch somatic people. And so we had a pre and perinatal psychology program going on at the same time as the somatics program. I was like, what are all of those pre and perinatal people doing over there? You know, the birth sequence and I don't really get it. I don't know if that's really true. That was really early on in my, my pathway. That was the Santa Barbara Graduate Institute, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I, I, um, I think the first thing that I began to experience was developmental trauma and birth trauma in my own body. And so I had a, a very early session with a um, somatic experiencing practitioner. I think it was in my beginning three class mm-hmm. where I went into um, a, a very low tone kind of breathing pattern. And then I had all of these movements with my neck and kind of twisting movements. And I was just following the implicit and I, I said to her, I have this strange feeling like I just don't want to breathe. She said, that's okay. So long as you're not, you know, getting dizzy or uncomfortable, make sure you voluntarily breathe if something like that happens. But why don't you just follow that feeling and that imprint? So I just would stop breathing for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then I'd have some constriction patterns and then my head would move. And then I started to have these kind of more ragged breaths and then it would settle back down again but it was this very almost like this feeling of uh a necessity to do that right like a drive or like we were going to talk about an imprint and then over time my breathing started to regulate at a at a new rhythmic level and i started to feel less constriction in my neck Mm -hmm. and i had had constriction patterns in my neck my entire life and after this session um they they abated I had more emotional range of expression. And what that connected to for me was that I had the cord wrapped around my neck three times when I was born. And I came up very quickly, apparently. And the midwife said that if I hadn't, then I would have died. So, right, you know, it's, and so that was my first, my first experience of questioning my own staunch belief that birth patterns didn't matter or they didn't exist in an adult body was my own experience my lived experience right and yeah no i was just going to say like that's kind of my entrance my entrance into understanding perinatal work also was a disbelief like these things can happen i mean adults can remember their birth that's never heard of it but i'll okay i'll be with it and i had a similar sort of awakening and it 
I find that very common for people out here. Like there is, there are these threshold moments that suddenly you cross over and you're like, Hey, this is really a thing. This is this, there are these memories, these in our bodies that can go back that far or even back to our prenatal time or even our ancestral time that can show up in the present. Yeah, and the, the scientific layer of that showed up in my dissertation when I started to look at the interface of memory. So around the time that I was studying somatic psychology, uh, developmental neurobiology was on the rise. So Daniel Siegel and Parenting from the Inside Out, Alan Shore, you know, was starting to look at the right orbital prefrontal cortex. Um, we were just seeing a lot of really interesting um, inquiries around early experience, human development, and somewhat different from what if you look at you know traditional psychology with Freud, who really contributed to this idea that early patterns in life could contribute to later patterns in adulthood. That's really some of the the great gift that that Freud left for us. But, but looking at it really from the, the biological. And then we have a lot of Dr. Peter Levine's gift of looking at it also from the physiological. So we could yes. call it psychophysiological, right? right? And some of these, these imprints that we share all throughout evolutionary biology. But looking into that, we had something called implicit memory. And Peter Levine and Daniel Siegel, they were all talking about implicit memory. And coming from a background in neuroscience, I started to, to look at, well, what's the traditional literature mm. on implicit memory? Because they're borrowing a term within, you know, neuroanatomy and neuroscience, and then they're, they're putting it into psychological frame. And is it accurate? So this is actually where I believe in the implicit memory, the study thereof, where we have this scientific basis for early experience to be something that is non-consciously mm -hmm. um, re repetitive, both in patterns that we need, but also in potentially adaptive patterns early on that become more maladaptive, or attachment patterns that we just need to kind of work through in our lives to have more range of possibility, right? And so it's non-consciously encoded memory. So you don't need to be paying attention to these things when they're encoded. And there's a few branches, there's several different branches. I won't go through them all right now. Um, I'll cover some of those in our workshop that we do mm -hmm. um, together. But uh, one of them is called associative memory. You could think of this as like a conditioned response as well. So something that we learn early on. And this is in early development you know, these are some of the things like prosody and voice or mm -hmm. expectation. You know, how long do you cry before somebody changes your diaper? Or when you when you need some kind of sense of movement, you know, sort of that the the, the movement of the, the biorhythm of your parent mm -hmm. and how how much attunement is there? When do you match? When do you not match? You know, and, and what are those kind of low level, I'm going to call them survival, physiological imprints and patterns that develop um, through in utero, in the birth, through the birthing sequence, which is a huge event, of course, for everyone. And then in that sort of, you know, zero to one 
frame time, time of, of time, frame of time. So this is also movement patterns. So they call that procedural memory. So you learn how to sit up. You learn how to find midline. You learn how to roll over. You know, so that amazing thing where you go, they rolled over for the first time, right? <laughs> and you see the babies, you know, they're totter, toddling up and then they fall back down again. And But you learned how to sit up at some moment, but you're not thinking right now, okay, spine, move to the right, move to the left, readjust. Your, your brain is just doing that for you. So these, you know, reaching out, grasping, pulling towards, all of these early developmental movements, which also have some symbolic and relational meaning to them, okay. are, are things that we have operating all the time. And so this is one of the ways in sort of tracking the movement patterns, tracking the physiology, tracking those early imprints of the biorhythms, both individually, but also how do we sense, feel, and interact interpersonally with those within mm -hmm. the field of the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, those are things that really have power to help us to explore, really, to see if there's anything that's stuck or anything, again, that was adaptive, that's now maladaptive, mm -hmm. and, and to find some new possibilities, open up a new range of um, agency, aliveness, capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the way we talk about that in preperinatal, at least the way I teach it, is that humans are about patterns. They're about patterns from the inside out and the outside in. And what you're talking about is just how we have developed and the memories of that are in our bodies. And um, all our neural connections and um, the ways our bodies have can remember things so unconsciously, procedurally, or even implicitly, as we would talk about it. Because I, I know, are you going to talk a little bit more about implicit memory, Abby? Because associative and procedural, is there an implicit layer that you all want to talk about? Well, those are two of the branches of implicit memory that we work with a lot. We probably work with emotional priming too. Mm -hmm. Priming are is the you know something that you've seen before. You're more influenced to choose or to also have predictions around whether they're, um, I'd say, you know, they, they could be um, accurate or inaccurate predictions. Mm -hmm. And that would be something we'd want to kind of go in and see what, what, does your, what does your implicit assume about this situation? Right. What does that implicit priming kind of help, help you to predict? Mm -hmm. And where might that be helpful for you in a relationship or in a situation? Or where might that be something where you're realizing when you take some time, slow down, that it's based out of fear, whether it's personal or transgenerational or something that you know is held in some of these early imprints. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, the work and the implicit is around slowing down right. and recognizing sort of what happens before we constellate into some of the more of the explicit memory, which is the conscious memory, who we think we are, the assumptions that we have about the world, mm -hmm. and then to do some of that sort of when we call more bottom-up oriented work, which of course connects into physiology and all of that, you know, early uh, patterns of, of agency or protection. Yeah. 
well, I know you teach a lot about attachment. Like you have these workshops on attachment, rupture and repair that you do with Dave Berger. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing just to say a few words about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if we look now past implicit memory, and so we have sort of a scientific mechanism that we could look at, but we have the the um, earliest imprints in life. And, you know, we form in relationship to others as, as humans, we're, we're social, social beings. And, you know, we, we have a, a transition that goes when you have a more symbiotic phase, right, within the, the mother and you're sort of sharing the biorhythm and you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're together in this place. And then this emergence out into the world where there's some level of separation, but there's still a high level of dependency, right? And there's a, an, a, a synchrony that happens, right? So there's sort of a syncing up, we could call it. You could call affect synchrony, which is emotional attunement. I like to think about um, instruments that sometimes will play the same note, or maybe they'll play different notes, but they're in harmony. Right. And then there'll be moments too where there's misattunement, where the, where the infant wants something, but the caregiver is reading that they need something else. Or maybe the caregiver needs to attend to another need for a moment and has the baby has to have some some uh, frustration tolerance. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully there is enough reconnection that happens that there's sequences of rupture, repair, rupture, repair, rupture, repair. And each time that we do that, the relationship starts to build at a higher order. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes parents are so... I find a lot of parents so anxious yeah. around the ruptures and, and they can't tolerate the ruptures, right? So we have to build their capacity to recognize that this is actually a healthy component, but yeah. the repair is important when it happens. The quality of the repair, the time of the repair, um, and, and sometimes we'll miss too, right? But it happens later on. So it's, it's not necessarily about it meeting it right in the moment. Um, and it, it creates this flexibility in the nervous system and in the relational field. Um, you can also look at some of these early movements, like I mentioned about reaching out yeah. or contact, yielding, grasping, pulling towards, looking, looking away, right? Can I look away and still feel that you're here with me? Yeah. Yeah. And, and having some kind of rhythm of coming in and out of being attuned to self and connected with other. And so we begin to look in a moment to moment with the families that we work with, mm -hmm. um, within the relationships that we have around us, what's happening underneath the words. You might be listening to my words right now. I don't know, Kate probably felt that I had kind of dropped into this somatic level with her where I was, we were, I was tracking some of our eye contact and yeah. smiling and so, in a lovely kind of relational yeah. way because we're yeah. so we're so connected yeah. um but those would be some of the things that um i really want to bring forward for people to know more about right to track the ruptures to recognize the opportunity and then to facilitate the repair sometimes the repair doesn't happen immediately in the dyad there might need to be some kind of shift in the person, right? Whether it's to downregulate or to or to push away or to be able to grasp, 
or to be able to 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 look but still feel connected mm -hmm. or to look and completely disconnect and then get the curiosity to to come back on their own pace mm -hmm. right there could be many different things that facilitate them then being more available to the other for that approach to even begin to occur yeah so so there's a there's many beautiful layers to the work yes. and when you're working with uh, infants a lot of the time you might be talking and kate you know so much about this you might be talking about something that happened to you and the baby but you're watching all those little patterns how is the baby responding right you know? yeah. Would you be willing to say some more too about your work with this? Because um, yeah. we have some various, so much knowledge between the two of us, and I think some different ways of framing things, which is so lovely. Yeah, well, I do have different ways of talking about the patterns that you're talking that you just narrated around attachment and around babies and families. Mm -hmm. um, I could say a few words, but I also really like to interview you every yeah. <laughs> um, But uh, I do a lot of debriefing with families that come with their children and their babies. And it's true. I, you do, you, 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 you know how to really track the space. I mean, that's one of the skills I teach my practitioners is you're feeling into what's happening uh, in, in every part of the family like ray castellino taught me that but you're tracking what's happening in between people not just what's going on inside of you and inside of the baby inside of the the, the couple um and sometimes even the grandparent will come because there's there's a lot going on in that family so as practitioner you're tracking all of that and and babies by and large i mean they're pretty straightforward that's why I like working with them. They're very direct. They don't have adaptation patterns, at least most of them. Some of them, very a few, will already have some adaptation patterns, but they're they're young. They're not layered and sort of sculpted and crafted into who we are, into our physiology and into our lives. And so really being able to to get it with with the baby, when the baby gets it that I get it. And then this conversation happens between me and the baby and the parents are watching and they're getting it. Like getting the baby is aware and paying attention and listening and wants to say things and wants to participate and wants to be listened to and talked with, even in utero. So these are the kinds of things I do in my practice and in the work that I do in the trainings that I offer. And so I'm excited to be able to come and learn from you also, you and Dave. And I know that these attachment patterns have a lifelong, can live in us our whole lives. And they come up when we're like in couples, because that's where I they, we see these attachment patterns come up so frequently. I know that's one of your passions too, isn't it? Working with couples? Yeah. Yeah. Couples and families. And, you know, I just had a, I just had a thought as we, we talk about uh, couples, uh, but I was thinking also about the baby. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just with a, a friend, colleague of mine who had a difficult birthing experience mm -hmm. and also wonderful too. You know, it was really uh, so elated to be a new mom and beautiful little, mm -hmm. little baby. 
and started to share about some of the near-death experiences and challenges that they had. Mm -hmm. And I loved how she, the mom, lit up when I would bring in how the baby was responding. She was sleeping for most of the time that we were together, but sometimes her suckling pattern would increase mm -hmm. or she'd get a little bit fitful and she'd have some movements. And whenever she did that, I said, let's take a pause and just attend to what she might be expressing right now mm -hmm. and give her some space. And so we would, we would listen to her and respond and, and then she would settle back down again. Mm -hmm. And so there were the, these interesting moments where you just saw her engage, even from this resting place. There, there's something where, where she entered into the, the healing space. And, and that's something that when the parents begin to see how infants communicate in these not always so subtle ways. Not always. You know, at one point, her arms are going like this, and I say, oh, let's pause. Let's not just talk over this amazing movement that's happening. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to name that. And, and those kinds of things happen with couples, too. So as you're, you're sitting with the couple, it's, it's not the argument about who's going to drive the kid to the carpool or the argument around sometimes it, it can be around negotiation of space or um, feeling, feeling uh, that you're not going to be abandoned, right? Um, some of those kinds of one, one person goes more into freeze, the other person goes into high arousal. Mm -hmm. We could have many different physiological patterns too. So we often work primarily with the individual first to see if we can change some of the underlying somatic pattern, especially in relationship to survival physiology. Mm -hmm. So it could be stuck in appeasement, stuck in fight or flight, maybe stuck in a rigid freeze or tonic immobility. Um, but looking at if both of the individual of a couple or a family can just lift, shift slightly into something different, mm -hmm. and then you watch that space between, because you'll see that there's, then there's this emergence of the possibility of something new. Yes. And then, and then they'll start to interact and you slow it down just those pieces around, how does it feel that your partner just leaned towards you for the first time? They were sitting like, you both were sitting like this, yeah. right? And as this person started to vocalize and move, they actually leaned in mm -hmm. and take some time to notice what happens. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'll say, that feels so good. They say, would you be willing to say, when you lean in towards me, it feels so good. And then notice what happens for the other person. And it, it's, it's slowing these sequences down. And so people can feel that they can connect in the moment. Mm -hmm. and, and we have that. It's sort of like the, the ability for a cut to heal on the body. Right. I think that relationally, we know how to reattune to one another. But we might need to work through some of the, the, the tendencies, you know, sort of of, mm -hmm. of where we might be more defended or protected or things that, that helped us in the past that we can, we can shift so the emergence of something can happen in the present moment. Yeah, exactly. Well, it would be wonderful to talk with you more, Abby. I mean, I have so much more I'd like to talk to you about, but we'll have to table it for another time. And 
because um, I know that just now we need to complete. Uh, but I there's like lots of layers to you, I know. And I'd love to talk about that near-death workshop and some of the, the wonderful things for me that came out of that, that workshop and, and how I've translated that into helping families that have had near-death experiences at births and how frequent that is and just how to help normalize some of it for people. And I feel like the work that you're doing with Peter Levine and your colleagues uh, in the Somatic Experiencing Institute and with Peter, and they, are you teaching with him some in, the, in his, what's it, Ergos? Ergos? Yes, Ergos Institute for Somatic Education. And so we have legacy faculty. We sometimes co-teach and co-lead courses with Peter Levine. Um, we're also independently beginning to teach. It's such an honor to, to teach his workshops. Yeah. Um, I do have a healing developmental trauma workshop. That's my own workshop. I'll be teaching that in Singapore in late November. So if anyone is out in Asia, you can check on my website, abbyblakesley.com for some of those. And then of course our workshop is coming up in early November, yeah. um, which I'm really thrilled about. And that will be here in Bozeman. Yeah, all this is uh, gonna be in the show notes. You'll be able to find all the links to what Abby does. And you can also get consultations with her and I'll make links to the Somatic Experiencing International and the Aragos Institute so that you can find Abby wherever she goes in terms of the offerings that she has. Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, Abby. And I also like to ask you the question I ask everyone, which is what makes your life more beautiful? Well, I have I had to really think about this question because I could I could say many things. Um, but I'm gonna just share something simple, I think, um, which is that recently I have been teaching my children the names of flowers. And so we've been learning about peonies and roses and irises and Johnny jump ups and poppies and columbine, mm -hmm. larkspur, um, hollyhocks. And there's something for me about, well, learning about the natural world is when you can identify something, you realize how many of a unique thing that there are. Mm -hmm. and, and that's another piece here about this sort of this embodied learning is as we, as we learn more specifics about the nervous system, about patterns, about relational patterns, it's like you can see just what a broad universe is there mm -hmm. in all of the possibilities, but it's like learning the names of the flowers and enjoying in the, 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 the beauty of the um, diversity. So it's simple, but then I know I connected it to kind of some of the work that, that we do, but mm -hmm. from the seed into the, into the growing, into the becoming, mm -hmm. um, into something that is so, uh, inspirational. So I leave with the inspiration of the flowers. Yes, they are pretty special. And so are you, Abby. It's your life is rich and full and you have a, you bring a lot so much to our world to help us understand all these things. So 
Thanks for coming on the show. We'll have you back, hopefully, to have more talk around our physiology. You're welcome, Kate, and I so appreciate you and all of the work also that you're doing in the world. And also all of the you who are listening, because I know anyone on Kate's podcast here and webinar, um, you know, you have a, an inquiry and in how to help support families and babies and communities to heal. So I honor all of you and your the light that you are in the world and oh. the, the the this beautiful let's say the the meadow yeah <laughs> the meadow with all of the it's summertime here right with all of the flowers as we're we're contributing to this moment yeah. in time yeah thanks thanks Abby. thank you you've been listening to a more beautiful life podcast to support our show please go to patreon forward slash a more beautiful life